attitude. Well, good morning again. So as we get ready to dive in, we got a lot to cover. Just go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Now as you're turning there, just by a show of hands, who here is a teacher? Okay, awesome. We're going to come back around to that question in a little bit. So last week, uh, last Sunday, we uh, celebrated Christmas Eve, but prior to that we had been going through the book of Hebrews. And prior to that, we had talked about the high priest Melchizedek. And we also talked about how Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Because Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus was the holy, final sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. We also learned that Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father and no longer has to offer sacrifice. And we don't have to offer sacrifice for our sin because of what Jesus did perfectly on the cross. So this morning, as we continue our sermon series, we come to one of the most difficult passages of Scripture to understand. But it's really important that we remember everything that we've been talking about the past couple months. You know, we've been reminded every week, time and time again, that Christ is superior to everything. We've been cautioned time and time again about drifting away. We even talked about drifting away at our Christmas Eve service when we discussed how the nation of Israel repeatedly drifted away from God and didn't see the signs of the coming Messiah, even times when God was right there in front of them, whether it be in a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, when God was even right there in front of them, they would drift away. We've discussed several times over the past several weeks of our need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So as we enter into today's scripture It continues the narrative of everything that we've been talking about up till now. So follow along as I begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 5. We're going to go all the way into 6.12, then come back around and unpack it. So if you have his word, go ahead and follow along with me. Chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. 
It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those from whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. And even though we speak of this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. It's God's word. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for this opportunity to enter into your house. We thank you for your word that you have blessed us with to know you. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and this opportunity to hear from you. So Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, but hearts to live it out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So 5.11 says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you. Now, I really, honestly prefer how the New American and the ESV translate that hard of hearing thing as dull of hearing. See, this phrase is speaking about their spiritual lethargy. The people in this little Hebrew church haven't been growing spiritually. And as we read in the beginning, the author would like to take some time and talk more about the relationship between Melchizedek and Jesus, but knows that these Hebrews aren't ready to hear it because they haven't grasped the fundamentals of the faith. And they certainly are not living them out yet. Now, earlier I asked who here was a teacher, and I only saw a couple hands. And to be honest, if you listen to the text... You know, this is pretty much the same issue that the Hebrew church faced. You see, they should have all been teachers. Each and every single one of them should have been teachers. Just as everyone here should be a teacher. You know, whether you've been walking with Christ for 50 years or more, doesn't matter. Matter of fact, if you've been walking with Christ for 50 years or more, you've been walking with Christ longer than probably most of us have been alive. And if you've been walking with Christ for 10 years, well, you've been walking with Christ probably more so than half of us here. And if you've been walking with Christ for just a single day, you've been walking with Christ longer than somebody who comes off the street, comes in here on a Sunday having never heard about Jesus Christ. You see, we're all called to be teachers Regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, we all need to be teaching. It's how we grow. 
See, we grow in our obedience to Christ as we learn his word. And we grow in our obedience to Christ as we teach it to others. We learn to rely on his spirit in us more and more as we see God working in our lives and in the lives of those that we are teaching. So you need to be asking yourself a question today. Who can you be teaching? Not when, not if, but who, right here, right now, can you be teaching? You see, if we're told that if we don't grow, we're drinking milk. And this is the message that we see here in Hebrews, that they had heard the message of Christ but never took it and grew. And that's why, as we read in verses 13 and 14, that they hadn't grown in righteousness because they didn't know about righteousness. They hadn't continued growing in Christ. And they hadn't understand that righteousness is a gift of God that comes from being cleansed of our sins, receiving the Holy Spirit, and growing in faith. See, they hadn't realized some of the things that Paul had been teaching around this same time period when he wrote to Titus 3.5, and he said, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, God's mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Or when he wrote to the church in Philippi and said, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, this little church, this little Hebrew church that we've been talking about the last couple months didn't know right from wrong yet. That's why we've been talking week after week about the drifting away. They didn't know right from wrong because they were still infants spiritually They hadn't begun to eat the solid food that creates maturity. This speaks not just about knowing the salvation that is offered at the cross, about the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, but by living out that faith obediently day by day, moment by moment. This takes time, maturity, and training. That's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Spiritual training. Training takes time, effort. It's not something to be accomplished overnight. Which brings us to chapter 6 of Hebrews. And it begins by telling us to move beyond. Not to stop and to rest where we are, not to get lazy, but to start. A command to trust what you have learned in the basics of the faith, regardless of how long it was ago, and begin a journey of discipleship, to grow in God's word, to grow in obedience to God, and to teach it to others. That's the very definition of discipleship. 
And as we go through the beginning part of six, we really see six commands when it comes to discipleship. The first one is press on to maturity. We're to grow in our faith in God. We're to learn to rely on God day by day, moment by moment, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. Just what we've talked about week after week. Don't allow yourself to be drifting away, but keep focused on Christ. Press on to the maturity. The second command is the repentance from acts that lead to death. This is really one of the primary things that needs to be accomplished for any believer, to turn away from the things that seek to separate us from God, to turn away from them and to put our eyes back onto Jesus and to not just do it when the rubber hits the road, but to do it moment by moment. See, too often people only turn to God in times of emergency. They treat God like that in case of emergency break glass. You know, they wait until the marriage is failing or they've lost their job or their health is deteriorating. And then they break the glass and ask God, come alongside now and fix this. Instead of living moment by moment, trusting him and turning away from the things that are seeking to separate us from him and fixing our eyes back on Christ. The third command is faith. In God. Seems rather simple, right? Faith in God, it's why we're here. You know, there's only one God. And there is only one way to God. The Bible is crystal clear from beginning to end that there is only one way. And that way is Jesus Christ. You see, we need to put our faith in Jesus. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We put our faith in the one that died for our sin on the cross. No other religion can claim that. No other religion has seen God come down from wherever he is sitting, take on human form, live among us, and then die for us. Jesus is the only one. We put our faith in the one that overcame that death. And who rose from the grave and promises eternal life for all those who come to him. Not just down the road when we die, but here today on earth, eternal life. And if you don't know, friends, if you don't know about that saving faith, that saving power of Jesus Christ, the great love that God put on display when he took human form to be born in a manger, If you don't know about that love, you're surrounded by teachers. You're surrounded with people who have been walking longer than you. Ask someone. Ask them to come alongside you, to walk with you, to show you what they know, how God has worked in their lives. And enter into that relationship that we talk about each and every single week. Now, the fourth command discusses the cleansing rites. And as we talked about in Sunday school, it's amazing how Sunday school seems to always tie into this for some reason. It's like somebody has a plan. Um, But in the Old Testament, the people were more concerned 
about the external appearance than they were the internal. You know, Jesus talks about this countless times. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount and the way he would come down on the Pharisees for people who just worried about what the outside perception is. But Jesus and God has always been more concerned about what is going on on the inside. See, we're called to have clean hearts and a regenerated soul. And that comes through the Holy Spirit being in us. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about Ezekiel chapter 36, where it says that God will take away our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Jesus himself actually quotes that text to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, using that as this is an act of God. God is going to clean us from the inside out. Which brings us to the laying on of hands, which is our fifth command. And this is another illustration from the Old Testament and one that we've talked about before. When a person would sin, they would bring an animal. And depending on what you did that day, depended on what animal you had to bring. Maybe it was a lamb, maybe it was a goat, maybe it was a bird. But whatever it was, you brought it to the temple for the priest to sacrifice. But this animal was a substitution for what you did. And as such, you would lay your hand on the animal as the priest would kill it, allowing its blood to pour out so that you can be forgiven. See, they would lay it on because it was their substitute. They weren't facing that punishment. They had an animal doing it for them. And we likewise have been blessed with a substitution of our own. And that substitution is Jesus Christ. That's why we can see in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the final perfect sacrifice for sin. It's why we don't have to offer sacrifice anymore. It was done once and for all for us. And the sixth command is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there will be a resurrection of the dead one day. There will be an ascension into heaven where we bask in the glory of God and our Lord and Savior. But for those who don't, there will be eternal judgment. The Bible is clear from beginning to end. It's why we're called to be teachers. It's why we've been told to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Because there will come a day where they face the judgment for not trusting in Christ from drifting away and making a choice not to believe. And friends, this promise is an opportunity for us to grow spiritually. It's an opportunity for us to sharpen one another. And it's an opportunity for us to live out the great commandment to teach others about the saving grace found in Jesus Christ. So with all that in mind, let's take a look at verses 4 through 8 of chapter 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened 
who have tasted the heavenly gift and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those from whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is endangered of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Now, these verses over the years have been used to spark fear, to bring people in line. They've been used to spark a fear of losing salvation. But we need to understand what we just read in the context of what we've been reading the last couple months. But we also need to understand it within the context of this entire book. You see, we can't simply just pull a verse out here or there and attempt to interpret it. We can't just pull a verse out of here and you know, try to make it mean something it was never meant to mean. You know, and people have gotten incredibly good at that. You know, but to believe that we can lose our salvation is contrary to what the whole of Scripture says. Jesus himself said in the Gospel according to John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty clear. Jesus gives us eternal life. None of us shall perish who are in faith in Jesus Christ. And no one snatches them out of the hand of our Lord and Savior. I think he's pretty clear. Of course, Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but if an angel can't do it, if a demon can't do it, if the past, the present, the future, death itself can't do it, I don't think there's anything left to separate us from the love of God. So, that being said, what is the author saying? Oh, good question. So, we talked about the difference between milk and solid food. The difference between spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity. And we need to keep that conversation in mind as we talk through some of these key phrases that get brought up. The first one's enlightened. It's an interesting word. You know, they were enlightened. And the text is clear. These are a group of people 
that have heard the word of God. They're like everyone here today. They've heard the word of God. They know it intellectually. They've got it here. But the gospel has not moved from here to here. Hasn't moved from head to heart. Hasn't moved from just something that goes on as a thought exercise to something that's lived out every day. What about tasted the heavenly gift? Now, if you're reading along, you notice the word tasted is mentioned here a couple times throughout this section. And tasted is a temporary event. Let me give you an example. It's actually, we talked about it a while back, Hebrews 2.9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Christ tasted death. Now, Christ didn't remain dead. Christ rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death and was granted eternal life and sits now at the right hand of the Father. Tasted is a temporary event. Likewise, this little Hebrew church had many people that had experienced the gifts of heaven. Another way to think about it is think about throughout the all, all of the New Testament, the people that Jesus healed while on earth. Or how about the 5,000 that came and bore witness to the miracle of the food? You know, the loaves and the fish being transformed. Scripture is pretty clear that not all of them trusted him and believed in him as Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, if you go and read, Scripture is quite clear that most of them turned away and never followed him. You know, we can think of this as putting a piece of steak in our mouths. Who here likes steak? Good, this will apply. Think about it. You know, you go out, you get a nice, juicy steak. Medium rare. <laughs> Don't ruin it. Don't overcook it. Anyway, and you cut it, and you put it in your mouth. Mm. Yeah? And you spit it out. You experience the flavor of the steak, but you never swallowed it. You never ingested it. You never took it in. Thus, you never gained the protein and the nourishment that came from it. And that's exactly what the author is saying here. These are people who have tasted it, but never took it in. Shared in the Holy Spirit. This is actually a continuation in the theme of partaking or tasting as the Greek actually translates as sharers of. An example of this would be Judas Iscariot. Everybody remembers Judas. But prior to him betraying Jesus, he actually hung out with Jesus for a few years while Jesus was on earth. And he ministered with Jesus. He saw all of the miracles you know, he witnessed the glory. He got to see the healings. He got to do it all. He got to share in the Holy Spirit working through Christ here on earth. And yet he never submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And one day the day came and he betrayed him. Sold him for a few pieces of silver. 
Now, today, we have a lot of people who do great works. And they're not even in church. We have a lot of people who do great work in churches. But why are they doing it? Who are they doing it for? See, this is the type of person who's not doing it for Christ, but for themselves. They're doing it to bring themselves glory and recognition and not God. And the text is crystal clear that those that reject the grace of God fully and completely will not come to know repentance. And that's why the text says that those that turn to thorns and thistles will be burned. It's a harsh reality. You know, but for those who believe, it is not something to be feared. You know, earlier we read the words of Paul in Jesus about the assurance of salvation. And that assurance is what brings us to the closing verses, 9 through 12. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation... God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that you hope so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So the writer of Hebrews is pretty clear that what was just said wasn't meant to strike fear in the heart of believers. Because he tells us that he's convinced that there are better things for the people of that little Hebrew church, just as there are better things for those here today. And those things have to do with salvation. Now, the New American and the ESV translate dear friends as beloved. And if you've been in Sunday school and we've talked through Ephesians, you know a little bit about the word beloved. And beloved is a better understanding of what's going on because these are the beloved children of God. See, it's in this verse that we see the transition from the unbelievers that we've been talking about the past couple months, those who have been drifting away and not setting their eyes on Jesus to those that are the beloved of God. You see, this is the people that were described in verse 7 that we read, the good crop that produces for the glory of God through their love for God. And that was in verse 10. You see, love is the key difference in all of it. We talked about it again this morning. The people love God and are also loved by God. See, they're not people trying to gain favor of people through what they do, but have gained God's favor in how they have loved others and love people and do things for others so that God would be glorified and not themselves. See, these believers express their love through service. Not trying to serve themselves, not doing things just to glorify themselves or things for themselves, 
but to help God's people and to continue to help God's people. And the final two verses are a call to persevere in the faith and to continue to grow in spiritual maturity, to move from that milk that we were talking about earlier to the solid food, to actually take that piece of steak, put it in your mouth, chew it, and swallow it, to grow beyond the self-centered view of Christianity and to start loving others by teaching them regardless of how long you have been following Christ. It is a call to persevere to the end, but it is also a warning. It is a warning to not become lazy, to not become lazy either because of your age, whether that be physical or, as we've been learning about today, spiritual, but to press on to the very end. You know, Paul addresses the same need to persevere in 1 Corinthians, where he says, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We need to press on. We need to finish the race. We need to understand that faith in Christ is not a sprint but a marathon. And we need to continue to strive to grow in our obedience to Christ Jesus, to grow in our spiritual maturity until the very end and to encourage others and to teach others along the way. So what about those that turned away? Talked about them a little bit. You know, and that's really a hard question that you have to wrestle with. Are we to write them off? Do we condemn them to an eternity in hell? I mean, Scripture is pretty clear about what happens to them, right? In the end, there will be fire. You know, while these are good questions, there's a better answer. The answer is you love them and you share the gospel with them. We are not God. We are not their judge. And we don't know what is truly in their hearts. What we do know is that Jesus Christ, before ascending to heaven, gave us a commandment, a great commandment. To go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that he has commanded. But we also need to understand that we are not responsible for the results. I don't care whether a hundred people come to faith in Jesus Christ because you shared the gospel. It wasn't you. And if no one ever comes to faith, but you faithfully shared the gospel, it wasn't you. We are only responsible for doing what we have been commanded to do. And that is to share the love of Christ with everyone. Teach them about Jesus Christ. You know, 
until we're on the other side of eternity, we're not going to know the results. You may share the gospel with someone and never see the results. But somewhere down the road, that seed that was planted continued to grow. And one day it blossomed and it took root. And a life was changed. So until we are on that other side of eternity, let's live out our faith. Let's live out that great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So regardless of whatever your opinions are about someone, show them the love of Jesus. Teach them the word of God. Encourage them in their faith walk. Hold them accountable to what this says when they drift away. But remember, you do it all in love. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for uh, this word that just uh, cuts to our core to seek to transform us into the new creations. Now, Lord, I pray, I pray for us that um, we would keep our eyes firmly fixed on you so that, Lord, when we have the opportunity to share with our neighbor who is everyone around us of your great love for us, we can share of your great love for them. Now, Lord, give us the words to say. Give us the heart. Give us the boldness. And Lord, may people see you through us. In Christ's name we pray. You know, I mentioned it earlier. If you don't know about that saving faith, if you don't know of the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness that comes through what Christ Jesus did on that cross, I'd invite you to come up front. Let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been coming here for a little while. You know, and you want to say, you know, I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to grow in my obedience. I want to come alongside this mission to make disciples and come forward. We can talk about what it means to be a member of a local church. Or if God's just calling you, maybe just do something radical to go out and make disciples, whether it be Catherine Avenue or halfway across the world. Come, let's pray about that. Let's all rise and let us respond to what we've heard today. Rejoice and reflect on our Lord and Savior.